Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, post-Wimbledon edition, back stateside. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined from only three time zones away, as opposed to the previous eight. Courtney, it was tough being so far from you in, in body, if not mind and soul. Uh, Courtney Nguyen, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Benji. You're home. I'm about to board a plane. It's it's all happening, slowly but surely. Fingers crossed. Life is, is returning somewhat to normal, but as I'm sure that you can probably attest, things are not normal uh, still. Think- so let's not get completely out of, out of crazy. So yeah, it's um, slowly and incrementally heading towards the right way. I was saying, but as we started the call too, that like this trip felt as much like time travel as anything like honestly the going back being there being and i talked about this a bit on the first show i did with timani just like being at a tournament being there being around other people who cared about the event that was going on that was very new just like having other people there who like weren't completely oblivious to the fact that there's a grand slam happening and the sort of day-to-day and the sort of gossip of it or whatever like all that was really nice to be back that yeah obviously like it wasn't totally what it was you know there's still no in-person press conferences, no access to player areas and talk to people. So I feel like the the work product wasn't as, honestly as good as as it normally used to be. Um, but this sort of experience of being there was relatively similar. Yeah. So that part was nice. The U.S. summer, from all appearances, is going to be hopefully pretty normal. Maybe even some in-person press at one of these tournaments in Cincinnati or New York. T- TBD, we will see. And uh, hopefully, though, because everything's uh, getting back to normal and a lot of life and tennis should be able to catch up with that, you would think, hopefully, eventually, at least uh, at least on pace with the rest of America. So, yeah, um, looking forward to uh, yeah seeing you hopefully soon, Courtney, in in Cincinnati or somewhere, maybe. We hope. We know our fingers yeah. are crossed. But, you know, I think that that's the thing that even though, I mean, like, you know, like with Wimbledon, it was great, obviously, having those full crowds, you know, quarterfinals on yeah. and, you know, every, the tennis sounded you know, the way that it did pre-COVID and all that sort of stuff and, and having your friends on site and, you know, all that was great. But th- it was difficult to to ever shake the idea that all this is still happening during a raging pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, obviously with vaccines and things like that, it's under control for those of us who have been vaccinated individually. And uh, obviously you know, to the extent that it gets closer to more people being vaccinated, it affects things and allows for normalcy on a community basis and, you know, national level, but it is still raging, you know, like across the globe. So um, it was still hard to shake that. So I'm, I'm definitely like looking forward to, to hopefully getting back to tournaments this summer, obviously U S being open helps um, traveling. We're both vaccinated. Yeah. We're both fully vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. So that definitely helps, but um, I'm very much dipping my toe in the water. Like I'm, I'm still very cautious of things. So, so we'll see. Um, but you know, yeah, because you haven't done any travel, really. No, you haven't done any travel. No. no. So I did my first sort of travel. We'll get to the finals eventually. I swear. I did my first travel um, back in April, Mar- late March, early April, or something. Going, taking a road trip up to Boston to see my sister and mm-hmm. some friends up there. Um, and I was vaccinated at that point, double vaccinated. 
but that even that was still like sort of like going into like a rest stop on like the highway it was like oh my god what a you know what a pit of germs that's not a normal time you know <laughs> like in the best of so times it's it's a in the best of yeah. times the jersey turnpike has as it's many different dish. petri dishes yeah. to offer absolutely <laughs> um named after wonderful famous people yes um and so yeah whether it was the vince lombardi petri dish or the walt whitman <laughs> or whatever one you wanted to choose uh yeah so there was um yeah so those were things hurdles to get over and then honestly like the flying was like what's flying gonna be like uh and then but honestly it was fine i mean what i was nervous about was testing positive at wimbledon and then not being able to finish wimbledon like not being like kicked you know booted from the tournament just because i had a turn positive test even if i wasn't going to be majorly ill or symptomatic or that like someone sitting on my row would test positive the thing is it would have been might... contact that's the thing that would stress me out is like being knocked that's out that's so not... amorphous and yeah. especially for a vaccinated person like you know you know but then like just again something nodding at your control like kind of derailing yeah. your your attempt to return to normalcy or your life like that would be pretty frustrating yeah. to me so if it was a close contact thing ruling you out that would I would throw things. I'd be really, really yeah. mad. <laughs> Close contact person get who's vaccinated getting getting ruled out for those reasons. That would be pretty, pretty killer. Yeah. In the meantime, let's talk about these finals. Yeah. In which the number ones. This is sort of again a, t- a time travel to a time when number one sees one women slams. Uh, Ash Barty. Let's start with her. Ash Barty wins Wimbledon, her second Grand Slam title, her first in over two years. Although it. She's been number one the whole time. We talked about this, I think, a lot when she went Miami, how that felt like a big title. And I, this title feels infinitely. And also I talked about during Miami, sort of like how the French Open 2019 was a weird tournament and like not a super satisfying slam win, honestly, on paper, especially if you really look at the draw. It's like, what did you, what actually happened at this tournament um, to anoint you as such? But Wimbledon, no, no knock in that. I mean, going through the draw, she did beating Kerber, uh, a very solid Wimbledon player in the semifinals and then beating Pliskova. In a very in a solid, it started out one way with with what fourteen straight points was it fourteen longest that, that longest four, streak in a women's final, yeah since Wimbledon right off the bat too. since Wimbledon started Ooh. keeping records, and it was looking so, bad. I mean, yeah, we I think I wrote this in one especially of my having things, already like, gotten double bageled once in yeah, a final like this year. All uh, we were just like kind of texting each other like you know like WTA stats people just being like ten minutes in being like do we have to look up fastest like slam finals and like get that number prepped. And thankfully, you know, Carolina was able to turn that around and make it a very compelling, um, you know, final all the way through to the end, because it felt again, kind of like one of those like Andy Murray three setters, where even though six, three, six, seven, six, three looks relatively like a straightforward sandwich. And she, and she got up an early break in the third. And she 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 was up three Oh, but it was 30 all. Or and then like through the end of like every single one of her service games, she was under pressure. She had to win big points at 30 all, um, I think, in her penultimate and whatever the word is for the one before that service game. Um, And then in her last service game, had to save a break point. Um, You know, so so Ash was under pressure and Carolina was right there. So I feel like especially that final set was a lot closer than six, three indicates in terms Mm -hmm. of the stress level of if especially if you were a Barty fan of of trying to see her close it out. But she did. Yeah, she did. Absolutely. And it should feel that way. I mean, like Wimbledon tied on the line and you just know, like, and just seeing that, like, Ash has not been in this many of these kind of situations as much as she's been number one, closing out 
big title, Grand Slam title under pressure, because again, the first, her only other Grand Slam final was against Vondrosheva, 2019 French, and that match was a flop. I mean, that, I mean, that was a really lopsided kind of dud of a match that was no pressure really on Ash at any point in that match competitively. And so Pliskova, yeah, coming back in, especially having, you know, it's one of those things where it happened to Berrettini a bit, like in the semifinals where he bageled uh, Hubie in the second set, right? And then it's hard once you've that sort of peak to sort of then have to hang on in a tighter battle. You're not really calibrated for it all the way. Um, and Hubie was lucky to win that. Well, or fought really well to steal that third set. But anyway, yeah. Well, and I will also say, too, like what kind of helped in terms of the narrative of that final. It's ironic. But losing those first first 14 points actually in the grand scheme of things helped Carolina because she became got the crowd on her side. Totally, She became too. the crowd's gal. Like it was weird. Yeah. And I remember seeing all these tweets from like Australian fans watching being like, what is going on? Like, why are they rooting against Ash? Like, you know, kind of like Australian locals who are like, yeah. you know, it became this whole issue of like, we should become a Republic. Like if you keep booing, like, you know, <laughs> yes, but that's not but why. Yes, but not, that's not why, please. Like as, as a nation that had a revolutionary war, please seed, go you for it. Try it. Give it a you go. You never it. know. Sky's the limit. Dream as Ash Barty and Yvonne Gulagong say, dare to dream. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so that it was weird because that first 14 points actually, made it so that the crowd was in Pliskova's pocket for the rest of the match, even up to the end. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even like they were really rooting for her in the second set, but then all of a sudden in the third, they were like, okay, now let's have like, you know, the junior champion, world number one. Late in that second set. Yeah, but like third set, they were still behind Carolina. And so in a way, and again, going to the narrative, you know, afterwards, Pliskova was 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 quite emotional, kind of teared up. And the reason why was because she was feeling such love from the crowd. And she felt kind of like she just felt all of that, you know. And so, again, if the crowd doesn't get as involved in that match as they did, and, the, and I would argue that the reason that they did get involved is because of that first 14 points, you wonder a little bit kind of how different that narrative changes in terms of like Ash wins, I don't know, 7-6-6-1. I think it's a very different whole feel to that whole shebang, you know? Yeah, or like three and two or three something. Three and two. Yeah, a, ge- a gentleman's yeah. three and two. Yeah. A gentleman's <laughs> three and two. <laughs> exactly. No, so so for Pliskova, I mean, I think that was a really, it was a nice, it was one of those finals where you could feel good for both yeah. of them. I mean, obviously, not totally unlike Pavlyuchenkova at the French Open, who hadn't made a, a semifinal before. Pliskova hadn't made one in five years, had just slipped out of the top 10 for the first time. It's been a reliable sort of, you know, presence in the top of sports made tons of year-end championships and spent a lot of weeks in the top 10 in a row and things like that but it was still nice for her to have this kind of moment on a, a surface on a tournament where she should have been doing better you know just on paper she's a good grass court player never come together for Wimbledon and getting that win over first of all her first week of the tournament I think was really really good um, she had a tough draw Zidanecek, Vekic, Martin Tkova not not as tough but then Samsonova who's who was like the fire player of of the uh the first week or just sort of the grass season coming into that and then goalie bitch had been very tricky beating her two and two soundly and then getting the win over sabalenka in a, in a good semifinal as well which actually was one where pliskova probably quote unquote deserved win that match in two sets i mean she was the better yeah. player in the first set generated <laughs> eight fault. break points <laughs> and then she finally got what well, face one of her own and double faulted and then she didn't that, that didn't make her crumble huge testament to her so i think yeah as a pliskova you know as someone who's an admirer of her game for a long time it was this was a very satisfying i think tournament for her and would love to see her keep that form up and and to you know contend for year in finals this year again and to to get to do well in new york where she's done well before and it's entirely and, and tokyo i think she's gonna play tokyo so 
it's entirely uh, in the cards for her to do well there. Um, any other thoughts on Plisco before we move on to, to Barty? Yeah, I just think that, yeah, everything that you said and just, yeah, very nice to see her be able to get the results. I've been in, in this is all documented in like my insider wraps throughout the season, but for the last few I, Pliskova had featured where I was like, I know the, and I said this about Sloan, I remember a couple times as well, but those two players yeah. were players where I felt like they were playing far better than their the results were indicating and that it just took, you know, for Pliskova, somebody to beat Pagula. And exactly, you know, I mean, and, and you know what? And the, here's the thing that I love about Kaya is that she will absolutely acknowledge stuff like that. She will basically mm -hmm. be like, look, there is luck that goes into this. It's not that I am not good enough. It, it, I guess it's kind of a self-serving thing, I suppose. But it's not like necessarily I'm not good enough or I'm not like, but just sometimes things don't break your way. And those, and sometimes for her, I think somebody at the, who's been playing at the highest level four or five years, you know, she kind of sees it that way that just sometimes just, you know, I ran into Mukova when she was having a blistering day that one year when I was playing great on grass. Maybe I win the Wimbledon that year, you know, or yeah, playing Pagula like four times and I just don't, her game is tough for me. It's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad tennis player. She keeps that perspective really well. And the only other point that I'll make about Kaya is that I think that, you know, in a, all credit to her because... I mean, she raised it herself, but clearly people were telling her that something was going wrong with her game um, and yeah. she was blocking that out. But also for a player who gets, I think, vilified, not vilified, because I don't think that it goes to that, but at least mocked a little bit by how quickly she goes through uh, coaches. Yeah, I think that there would have been it would have been very easy for her to have ended things with Sasha earlier in this season. It was oh, yeah. not working. She didn't, and she stuck by him, and credit to her for doing it. I mean, you know, like, and it's not to say that he's the reason why she was able to win, you know, to make the final of Wimbledon, but yeah. I just think that there's, um, I don't know, like, sometimes the narrative outpaces the facts, you know, and it's like, well, she's actually been incredibly loyal to, you know, this guy, and she's actually been very, you know, and it's not like she just, like, jettisons people for bad reasons, Sometimes she no. jettisons them for very good reasons. Um, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's an interesting one. And sometimes they bail on her. I mean, Conchita and her were a great team. And Conchita saw Garbina yeah. needed a coach and that, you know, went that way. That's not Kaya's fault. <laughs> like, you no, know, it's not, not even Conchi's no, fault. I, it, it made sense. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think what you're saying sort of in, in the beginning, of your, what you're saying about Fliskova being incredibly honest and blunt about things is totally right. And that was and getting to do a one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one with her. Her one -on -one was a highlight was of this sort of from yeah. a, Oh, thank you. Was just sort of getting because she's like again like so no bullshit in this way that yeah. makes you realize how much bullshit everyone else has <laughs> because she's so it's just it's honestly not unlike Kyrios in that way where it's like it's just like so unfiltered from her that you're like whoa I'm not used to getting it this level of concentration I need to like have a mixer with this with this drink <laughs> of some level um, because it's just like such undiluted like truth from her and that, that she can. But it's all, but, and she's on herself, and I think a lot of things, a very reliable narrator, too, yeah. where she, you know, it's just, it's just blunt, it's honest, and, and so, yeah, all those things, having her have this moment uh, was, was nice. And it was, it was so funny, it was too. Well yeah, and it was, it was well-earned, and it was funny, too, because when we talk about Carolina, and I say it a lot only because I know that the perception of her 
is that she's a robot that has no mm -hmm. like you know but if you actually deal with her she's like one of the nicest people and just normal um and one of the things and i funny. actually and very funny because she's so caustic to herself she's so self-deprecating yeah. but that was the thing so i really appreciated in the uh, her final press conference after the match and um and it was George Belshaw of the Metro who opened up with the first question. And he, I could tell he was trying to politely ask her about the 14 points and the slow yeah. start. And he was kind of carefully choosing his words. And you can understand it from the journalist perspective right now, too, because I think that everybody deep down is like, please don't say speak. I don't want to say something wrong and get screen grabbed and like put on Twitter, mm. like, you know, like mm -hmm. and judged when I'm not doing it. So like George was trying to tiptoe around this question, but it's obviously you have to ask about a player losing 14 straight points. And she, he started to ask it and she just started laughing. It's in the transcript. It's like, duh, 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 yeah. and then Pliskova laughter. Um, yeah. And she, but when she laughed, like, I feel like you saw it with George and you saw the whole room kind of, okay, so we can be adults about this, right? Like we can just yeah. talk about what just happened out there and you know, same thing. Like, I think in the press conference before, in the semifinal press conference, I asked her, like, you know, you you double, what was your reaction after that double fault, you know, at the end to finish the first set? And I was like, I, I don't, I, because a lot of people would have lost that second set, six love. Like, yeah, that's a really bad thing, you know? And she was like, I wanted to lose at six love too. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> no, it, was it sucked. Again, and, the adultness about it mm -hmm. is, is, is really, it's a, it's, it's rare. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's nice to be able to, to have that with her. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's 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 a good egg, and so that was was really nice about that final is that you went in knowing again, like you said, you know, with the French Open, um, as well of just kind of like you know, I mean, Australian Open, like I mean, we've had this first series of of women's events before now where you go in and it's not really a fraught final, like mm -hmm. as a writer. I'm not talking about rooting interests. I'm sure it's fraught for people, but as a writer, it's like oh, two great stories. Happy to write both those stories genuinely yeah. happy for both those players if it, if it comes true for them like good times you know where sometimes you have the moments where you're like I, gosh i have no idea what i'm gonna write like if x person wins or if y, per mm -hmm. y person wins and but it's been it's been very easy and this one was a very easy one too it's been a good streak of women's finals that way actually yeah, yeah. for dating back quite a while um so there you go so that is uh let's go about barty let's talk about barty before we move on to the dudes Ash Barty winning two slams. Uh, speaking of what this match meant to people, you know, this was a, a big reaction from Ash Barty after winning this and not totally unexpected. I think, you know, there's a lot of lore in Australia in tennis about what Wimbledon means. Wimbledon is a very, very important tournament to them, much more than the French Open is, honestly. And and you saw that, honestly, in those two in the clips that were circulating from broadcast of both Casey Delacqua's reaction and of, of Elaine Dockage's reaction. So um, sweet. And those very and very different uh, reactions they had, both positive for Ash and both very emotional for them for very different reasons. And and Ash's. Yes, I mean, do the side it, by side it, of Ash's reaction in Paris versus it, Ash's reaction in Wimbledon. It's absolutely night and no, day. It's, it's night and day. So literally so black did, and white. Make, the kids. What did you make of <laughs> Ash? <laughs> yeah. What do you make of, of what this means, why this meant so much to Ash, and then also what it means for Ash from a more sort of pundit level? Yeah, I mean, the narrative that I just kept seeing over and over and over again as I was as it was all playing out and, and as it kind of crystallized in my own mind for myself in terms of its significance to her personally, but also, you know, narratively within the game is, you know, this kid was 15 years old, walks through the, the grounds of the All England Club for the first time, wins Junior Wimbledon. Like, as a, as a, and I went back and watched, like, went on YouTube and watched her as a 15 year old. Mm. Looks the same. Like, her game is, like, it's stunning for a 15 year old the way that she was playing. 
like yeah. you pace and power and you know the intelligence and all that it was the same ash but she goes and do, does that and that win catapults her into the spotlight it makes her the future of aussie tennis and it ultimately chases her out of the game if she doesn't win she, 15 wimbledon at 15 years old ash Barty maybe doesn't take that two-year sabbatical she and i did a story a couple years ago at wimbledon on what becomes her junior champs and she, I, she was one of the people I talked to for this is before she won any of her slams. And I think it's probably circa 2018, maybe this story, maybe 2017. And she said it was, she was blunt. She was like, that was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me yep. winning Junior Wimbledon. Like, it was certainly like, it was great. And it was, you know, but it was also like, oh crap, like all the spotlight, all the attention. She a was victim not of my own success is, is yeah, a phrase totally. that she used a lot, you know, back in the day as well. And so, you know, and so that happens. She leaves the game, goes and plays cricket and was dealing with, I mean, obviously, and again, I found it a little bit surprising given how much mental health is part of the conversation right now because of Naomi, because of even Kyrgios, like whatever, like, you know, that it isn't, we just talk about her, like, like Ash just decided to go play cricket. Yeah. But it was a dark time for her mentally. Um, mm -hmm. She says that she she suffered from depression and, you know, and de or de that depression runs in her family anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so she walks away from the game um, to recharge her batteries and for two reasons, right? One was the spotlight and the pressure. Another was that she wasn't dealing well with the, being on tour, um, that the yeah. grind of the tour and being away from home. And the reason I mentioned that is because of the full circle moment. So now, you know, and five years ago, just five years ago, she was losing in qualies at the Australian Open, um, which was her first Australian Open, or sorry, uh, Wimbledon, which was her first Wimbledon 2016 when she came back. Right. And so for her to then come in the midst of what is the f fourth month of what is like an eight month trip away from yeah. home, um, for her to go into Wimbledon having said, I want to win Wimbledon. It is yeah. my dream. I want it so badly. Um, to invite that scrutiny, to wear the kit and say, this is an homage to my mentor and friend, Yvonne Gulagoncale, 50th anniversary, blah, blah, blah. To do the video. To do the video, the the narration, which is, which is unbelievable. If you haven't seen the Wimbledon, the impossible dream video that Ash narrates about Yvonne, do it. it you'll weep like I did the 10 times I've seen it already. Um an a, a, a Lee Walsh production. A Lee Walsh, obviously, a, we, a Lee Walsh joint. Um, and then on top of that, with with uh, Simona uh, Halep withdrawing, uh, getting the defending champion slot, um, you know, to open up the tournament, there were all these things that invited scrutiny, that invited pressure. There was a lot on Ash. And then on top of all that, to have that be the number one seed, and you're coming in on an injury cloud. You could have yeah. absolutely crashed out. Like any. We said time. in the draw show, she could have lost to Carla. Yep, a hundred percent. She lost two sets of tennis, one to Carla, one to Kaya. You know, so all of that for her to march through beating Krachikova, reigning French Open champion, beating former nice match, Kerber. Match, that was a great match. Beautiful, good times. Craig is going to do good on grass once she, yeah. you know, uh, beats Kerber and Kerber played well. And beats Pliskova, and Pliskova played well. Like, you know, and to do it like that, that is one of those full circle demon slaying moments. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is the place where it all began for me. And this is where this dream, this part of the dream, the journey is not over for Ash, obviously, but this part of the dream is done. Um, for her to be able to do that, it's very moving. I, I find that phenomenal what she was able to do. And, and in particular, yeah, her saying out loud that she wanted to win Wimbledon was one of those 
as a pundit, as a writer, as somebody who's interviewed Ash many times over the last decade, was one of those take up and sit note, like, you're like, oh, that's different. Like record scratch. Like, wait, I'm sorry. Ash said she wants to do something. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, I find I find Ash like there people have different reactions to Ash in terms of being fans or being journalists or writers covering beat writers covering the sport about how she talks. I find Ash fascinating and how she talks about the sport, just her own tennis, because it's so controlled and yes. so it's so it's so intentional and calculated, if you want to call it that, which I know is a more negative term to it or negative vibe to it. Thoughtful. But like, like she's thought it out and this is what she's yeah, going to th say. Thoughtful, but also yeah. like, but she's like, she's like very much like, here's what I'm going to do. This is this, 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 mm -hmm. not this. I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to bite this question. I'm not going to bite that. Her press conferences it, are her tennis. Yeah. There is a chess going on in how she answers questions. It, and again, and she doesn't go off script. She doesn't go off all. script. She never seems completely surprised or taken aback by a question or a moment. If she doesn't want to engage, she doesn't engage. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm not, you know, like, but, but at the same time, but it, but it's in this way that's like very different for me than let's say Kerber, who also doesn't engage much in press. But with Ash, there is this sort of like more playful way she does it or also mm -hmm. just like this more sort of you can you can see more wheels turning with ash too yeah. and you can see her just having thought through things and and really decide this is what's best for me to optimize everything you know and like and and so yeah i'm, I'm not i don't think i'm articulating it very well but there's this way and there's this tension between that and also being you know a player in this era of wta where where shit's crazy you know and like <laughs> honestly and like you know where it's like she's this sort of like she manages to make herself like the eye of the storm, you know, where like things That's are crazy. Point. And she's like, and she's able to sort of have this sort of calm around her that very rarely gets meaningfully disrupted. I mean, obviously she can lose matches and stuff too. Like, and there's some weird losses she's taken, you know, like the, she wasn't a reliable closer. Like, like this, no, like she like, was getting and, broken a lot this tournament. More yeah. Than I was going to say, but you mentioned her things, but even like some of those first week matches against Blinkova and against, uh, uh, Siniakova, those were not pretty. No, they were you know, pretty those ugly. Wins. And so, yeah, so for her to, her to get through all that and to sort of be this sort of, to be able to be in this sort of, you know, like an Isimova 2019 French Open semi, you know, choke fest, like Whew. mess matches while still maintaining and, you know, and has, you know, and that's all as much a part of sort of crazy women's tennis as anybody else in that, in those sorts of result ways um, and on court ways while still at the same time being so collected and together and yeah, intentional and everything about it, I think is... Again, I don't feel like I articulated this well as yeah. I want to, but like I, but I think you at least know what I mean. No, I so. I know what you mean. I think that that there is a control, yeah, about the way Ash handles her career. And again, and it's it feels it seems it feels my reaction to it is very is I feel like it's very poignant because I feel like this is somebody who, as a sixteen, seventeen, eight year, eighteen year old, felt like things were not in her control. Right, that exactly, she exactly. was at the whim of everything and getting questions and not really knowing. I mean, and to be fair, she didn't know what she wanted then. She she was kind of tennis was fun. And then all of a sudden it wasn't fun anymore. It, it, you know, like the job of the t of being a tennis player was not fun. Um, and she went and she handled it and she got it out of her system and, and came with a new set of eyes, a new set of intentions and came back speaking differently. Of course she would. I mean, she. A much more mature she's 25 years old compared to a 15 year old kid they look the same mm -hmm. i'm sorry you put those two posters you put those two photos next to each other it's the <laughs> same person but uh but yeah she's but what is really um 
meaningful to me when I see that though, like that intention, that chest, that kind of control that she has over her press conferences, over her, particularly with how she deals with the media and things like that. I respect it because it is, it shows how much work has gone into being the ash party that exists right now. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it, how much work she's done with her mental coach, Ben Crow, how much, how many discussions she must have had late at night with like Casey Delacqua and, and Craig Tizer and, you know, trying to figure out what do I want with this? How do I do this on my terms? Because when I don't get to do it on my terms, things spiral real quick. And there's something about that I find very relatable. You know, um, that and she she sorted it for herself and she has incredible discipline to keep it that way. You know, like like when we're in Melbourne, for example, or in Australia, she always gets the question about pressure. Ash, like, you know, you know, and she Mm -hmm. literally answers every single question about like external pressure with one word. Like every single time it'll be like, Ash, you know, like everybody's expecting you semifinals. Like, you know, do you think like you can go one more, blah, 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 blah. Don't think about it. She doesn't even entertain the like, I'm going to give you a quote on it. You know what I mean? And I'm going to spin it. She's just like, I give you nothing. It's like her backhand slice. I give you nothing. And also I'm in control. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, you know, and so it's, it's, and I always notice it. And I always chuckle to myself like, and it, it, but it, but it, but it makes me really confident that she is in control. Right. And like you said, early in her career, she wasn't. And so this has been a growth for her and a victory for her. And it's, again, one of those things where, and obviously it's tough to sort of prescribe this to people, but like, or proscribe or whatever the right firm would be there, of the benefits of taking time off from tennis and to sort of like step back and be like, hey, let me really figure out what this means to me because so many people don't make the choice necessarily to be that kind of level tennis player that is something that has to be good at. And then it slowly turns into a job at some stage, whenever you turn pro as a, and mostly happens, especially in women's tennis, you know, in mid teens for, for, well, for the yeah. better players. Um, and everything's sort of thrust upon it. Obviously this goes to conversations about, you know, Radu Kanu and stuff like that. Like there's, there's different levels of, of these things. And just, I hope that, you know, and you can go to like Osaka even like in what her current, hopefully that she's, been able to get some some meaningful perspective on everything as she's been away. Um, not that she's been away for nearly as long as Ash was or anything, or because she, she's coming back for Tokyo by all all appearances. So, yeah, uh, we'll see how it how it goes uh, for her. But yeah, but I think Ash is. There's a lot about Ash that I feel like not necessarily tennis wise because I think she has some pretty unique gifts on that side. Sure. Um, especially for her size again, which doesn't which I, I know is not some under yeah. like we don't talk about it enough. Like in terms of like how she is kind of holding holding her spot at the top of the tour and doing what she's doing without, you know, yeah, being five foot ten. Yeah. You know, although Ash yeah. Ash blisters if you mention that she's short. She's like, I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not that short. I don't think she's that short. I don't think she, but, but I know, like, but sometimes like people will say like you're one of the shorter players on tour. She's like her initial she's like, I'm not that short. Like she yeah. you can, it's a little she gets a little It's like, funny that she's sensitive about it. Yeah, yeah she's a little but sensitive she, about it. But, but it's watching her against Pliskova, it's like, oh, wow, you guys are like just built very different, obviously, and your yeah. natural gifts are very different. So especially being in person at that match, I was like, oh, wow, this is but, obviously. But like, getting back to your point about just yeah. kind of being, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, a really, really nice model. And again, you can't you can't apply what she has done to everyone because everyone is different. But I, um, but her being able to take that time away, I think that's why, you know, both Yelena Dukic and and Casey Delacqua 
they saved their like emotional, tearful responses um, to Ash's win to when they were talking about her parents and just like how supportive her parents have been, how supportive her parents were, you know, in terms of, of being like my kids. Not, and Lindsay was really eloquent on it on Tennis Channel during the match talking about it, about how, you know, I think the paraphrasing what Lindsay said, although using some of her language, it was like, you know, uh, we, you know, mental health was a difficult thing to discuss you know, back like five, six, seven years ago. And meanwhile, we had the 17 and 18 year old kid who could do anything in the sport. He was so gifted and she was crumbling. And in this yeah. sport, the reaction is you keep going. Tomorrow will be a new day. Next week, it'll be better. Duh, 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 duh. And her parents, to their credit, said, come home. Like, yeah. let's let's make you smile again. Let's get you happy again. I mean, and you can hear Lindsay kind of getting emotional as she talked about it. And that's the same with Casey talking about it. That was the same as Dockich, who Dockich said it, you know, as it pertained to herself, which is what was so, so moving of like, I did not yeah. have that, you know, and that was an understatement <laughs> for yes. Yelena Dockich. So there's a lot going on with Ash and, and in terms of the story that she's she's woven for herself um, and a lot to kind of parse out that serves as a lesson to the entire sport and to all the players as to like, here's a way to do it. Here's a way to, to do it successfully and to do it on your terms. And, but that being said, she's incredibly gifted as a tennis player. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and a lot of players probably can't do what she does on the tennis court, regardless exactly. of how their mental state is. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, she's a special one. Absolutely. Other champion on the men's side of the draw a day later after Ash Barty also was special. Novak Djokovic. Also special. In a very different stage of his career, obviously. And Novak Djokovic both increased their slam counts to numbers that started with two. <laughs> Ash to two. Djokovic to 20. Uh, so some symmetry there, you know. Ones uh, and ones, you know. At, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 one yeah. from one in the tens column to a two to whatever. Um, Djokovic wins uh, Wimbledon yet again. Uh, has been very good at this tournament. Again, which doesn't really like seem obvious on paper. When you watch his game on hard court, you wouldn't think like, oh, this guy will do great on grass, but he has done great on grass. Uh, he wins the final in four sets over Matteo Berrettini after beating a very game Denis Shapovalov in the semifinals. Uh, he is at 20. He's tied with uh, Federer and Nadal in the overall slam count. I think everybody thinks at this point that Nadal, sorry, that Djokovic will finish as the clear number one in that category, which is questioned by how much, honestly. Can't take anything for granted. You never know when the wheels are going to come off for anybody. Um, but Djokovic was, again, very comprehensive. And, uh, yeah, it's not not a great final, honestly, I don't think. I mean, Bater Bertini won a set, um, which gave him a little early suspense. I didn't think the level was that good in this final, honestly, for considering how relatively well both of them played in the tournament the rest of the way. But... Again, Djokovic is in that sort of conversation now where he's rare air only in the history of our careers. And most times, I mean, because I don't think before, I think it was just Steffi in 88 even, who even won the first three legs of a, mm. of a calendar Grand Slam before Serena in 2015. I don't think anybody had done it on the men's side since Laver in 69. Um, so Djokovic, yeah, is getting calendar slam talk, golden slam talk, because we're in an Olympic year unexpectedly in 2021. What what do you where do you where do you start with Djokovic? Where do you sort of what stands out to you most about this win? We've obviously talked about him winning slams a lot lately, so in some ways this feels like well trodden ground, um, but also it's sort of his arrival and supremacy, whatever you want to call it, feels almost like more official now. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the big things that feels different maybe this year compared to years previous when he's won, you know, and, and also gone on those long streaks and things like that is that this feels like a widening of the gap. Mm -hmm. um, irrespective of numbers and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, the numbers game becomes this whole philosophical discussion about what one what does goat mean and all that sort of stuff, which I just don't, I'm happy to have that conversation at a bar with my friends to have zero mm -hmm. interest in having that conversation with complete and utter strangers on a podcast. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, I, so for me though, just eyeballing it, ATP outsider, I just feel mm -hmm. like the gap between him and everyone else is growing. And that is what is scary. I mean, it was a big four. It became a big three. And then it was sort of a big two briefly. And now it's a big one. Yeah, it's just big like, Novak. That's he's, it. He's it. He is. He is. He the is moment. the it. He is the it. Yeah. So he he's it. And you look at like yeah, the gap is widening. Yeah, like both both number two seed uh, Medvedev and the sort of obvious other contender in the bottom half, Federer, both lost to Hubie uh, in their own ways. Uh, Federer today pulling out of the Olympics as we record this on Tuesday, citing a sort of knee setback that happened on grass, which maybe explained some of that match against her catch, getting bagel okay, in the third. That hold was, on. That was like, ugly to watch. If you want to explain what happened in that 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 third set with Hubert Hercatch, it's called Hubert Hercatch. <laughs> Did you watch? Because I spent a lot of time today trying to figure out this weird video player on this Polish website to, to see watch. the Iga Hubie thing. Iga versus Hubie. <laughs> Did you watch? I haven't. No. Is it, okay. is it worth watching? Honestly, not really, but you love those two, <laughs> I so do. I can't tell you. I can't tell you what to think of there, but uh, it's fine. Honestly, I did, I just, it was like watching it on like my phone or on the screen. Like it's just honestly kind of again. I was like, oh, I don't like watching clay court tennis. It's hard to see the ball. I was like, why are they on clay? It was one of my main reactions. But anyway, back to Novak. I mean, Novak, he's he's it. And like again, I I fully repeat what I said during the draw show. Like if he's gonna get beat at Tokyo if he shows up or at um because he said he was 50 50 and we'll talk about Olympics next um as a general sort of topic or um at US Open it's going to be I really think because he beats himself because mm -hmm. the moment gets to him because his game is just way off one day I, people playing at normal levels I think his sort of range of you know sort of statistical range of his normal performances is just ahead yep. his 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 C game at this point which doesn't we don't see much of but his C game beats everybody's A game at this point. Yep. He's just like distances ahead and it'll take something either unbelievably transcendent for someone to beat him in a best of five situation, especially in New York yep. um, or for, or even honestly in Tokyo, if he goes there and is motivated um, or yeah, there'll be some sort of implosion. There'll be something like not as extreme as US Open 2020, but something where just like the wheels come off and he does something to somehow torpedo himself and it will be tough like we saw this with serena in 2015 like that 2015 us open was a journey and you know you could see it even in you know the press conference uh which this one has got it's an interesting moment where ubaldo asks her why she's why she looks like why she's not smiling mm -hmm. which obviously gets read a certain way by especially a lot of women just sure. like it's like oh shut up what a question but serena was like looked miserable through that whole press conference yep. after winning her quarterfinal uh, because it was getting to her. The moment was getting to her and everything. And the next match, she shows up and loses. And it's ironic that his question, too, is about Roberta Vinci, was yeah, the question he that's... wanted to ask her. And then, and I then want Vinci to ask beats you. her. Yeah. She's like, is it about Venus again? He's like, no, it's about Roberta Vinci. <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> Not that he's Mario, exactly. But you know what I mean. Like, so, uh, 
It's to me, Roberta. Uh, so, okay. uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> I, I said a lot there, but what, what do you, yeah, Novak, do you think he's gonna, do you think he's gonna either calendar slam or golden slam at this point? Like, I, I think so. If I were to bet like, on whether he does or he doesn't, I would bet that he does. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he will, but if it's like a binary, you have to choose one or the other. I just I just think that I mean, and again, you don't know with injuries and, you know, it is a, a physically grueling and, and mentally grueling thing that he is looking to do. Because, I mean, if he were to Golden Slam or even Grand Slam in the midst of a pandemic. You know what That's I mean? Crazy. Like, it's kind of it's pretty wild because this none of this is is normal. Like, you know, like, I mean, if he were to go from winning Wimbledon to then going to flying to Tokyo, playing, you know, it, effectively behind closed doors uh, and win gold medal there. And again, he doesn't have a gold. I mean, there aren't a whole I mean, the holes in his CV are like needle pin pricks. I mean, there aren't many it's holes. Gold medal is it. it gold medal is pretty much it. So. But yeah, you know, there's that. And then to fly all the way back and then do the stateside thing and win. I mean, that's I mean, that's Herculean. What I guess now that I'm talking, maybe I'm talking myself out of it. But but at the same time, I just think that that's where his his head and his game are right now. Both like I just I find them to be completely impenetrable right now. Yeah. Nothing is getting him off and nothing is wavering at all. And he looks thoroughly oh, drop the set. Cool. Down two sets to sit pass. It's fine. Not it's fine. I mean, obviously he fired himself up for it, but like best out of five beating that guy right now. Wishing him luck. Yeah, no, pretty much. And yeah, he has that that energy. The aura is there too. Yeah, like, the I don't aura think is people walk there. on court believing they can beat him, especially after you see Sitsipas being up two sets. If you see uh, you know, uh, Bertini get a first set and then not really be that close the rest of the way. Like Chapo coming so close, and, and that was a straight set loss. Yeah, exactly. And, and he like, played like the match of his life. Chapo was unbelievable. Yeah, it was great in that first set, especially. And so yeah, it was great the whole way. Actually, Chapo was a really good performance for him. And, it was really and good. You could tell it was Chapo too. When like he was leaving the court in tears, honestly, like he's like, "Wow, that was my absolute best," and I did not come that close. Oh. Was sort of the feeling. And so yeah, like. For Djokovic, it's it's tough to yeah it's tough to tough to see where things go wrong. Expect the unexpected, obviously, in these things. And again, Vinci was the unexpected for Serena, and I think that is Sports a really happens. interesting sort of instructive thing. Yeah, and honestly, you know? it's been something. It's been something people have talked about Serena actually a lot of the sort of. I had a couple conversations with different journalists or with uh, with, the, with one Novak fan I was talking to for a while, and um, was saying like the Serena example is interesting though because just career wise, like. Who would have thought that after she won the 2017 Australian Open, that that would at this point most likely be Serena's last Grand Slam title? Like you just never know when all of a sudden the the Grand Slam trophy well runs dry. There's not much warning on that, and obviously Serena has made four more finals since then and a couple more semis and it's done done well and and slams, but just not quite enough in those in those crucial moments to get there. And so with with Federer, with Nadal, with Djokovic, all of them, you know, at some point they will have won their last and maybe we've seen that already for for one or two or I mean, three would be crazy but you know we we just we just don't know but the so. th but that's the thing and and we've said it over and over and over again on on this podcast winning a slam is hard very hard excuse my french but it's fucking hard and the fact that we are you know if you are watching tennis over the last like 20 years we are living in an era where there are certain there's a a team of like four or five players who have made it look pretty flipping easy for for 15 mm -hmm. years right 15 20 years so like that has recalibrated things 
but because you know in in doing in in the winning and making it look so effortless and dominating it 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 almost belittled how difficult the task is actually so that now mm -hmm. that it is actually as difficult as it ever was but maybe levels have dropped or dipped or like whatever you know now it's like oh well what's wrong with her nothing's wrong with her nothing's wrong with him it's just it's hard it's a difficult task and a lot of things have to break your way and no. you know it and if anything let's celebrate the 23 that have been won the 20 that have been won like exactly. unbelievable unbelievable effort you know um but but that so that's a thing and yeah, it, it's just never forget that. Never take for granted how easy it, how, how, if your, if your fave wins one, understand that that was a monumental achievement because right. look at all these other seemingly amazing players who are trying to do it and they can't. If your fave wins anything, be happy. That's I what mean, I honestly, say. That's the Andy honestly, Murray fandom mantra. It's right? like, we're just happy he steps onto a court. The fact that he wins something, holy cow. Unbelievable. Per and I'm talking about a game. Much. I'm not talking about match <laughs> sets. Just like, you know, happy point. happy he's alive. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, term, I guess that's probably about it for Joke, which obviously will keep lots of coverage of his continuing calendar slam bid as it goes on. Uh, let's talk about your boy Matt briefly. Sure. Here. Uh, not my boy. Just, I just think he's a, I just think he's a nice guy, is all. Okay. Um I was boy Matt. What do you what do you what do definitely. you what do you make of, of, of Matt's uh Matt's tournament? He had a nice sort of, you know, it was nice it was a nice event for Matt, as sort of, you know, a little bit forecasted. I think you were casting some doubt on the sort of his, his favorites about on half favorite status, but he as was granted, Roger got Federer. some help from some help from the draw, didn't have to play Federer, didn't have to play Medvedev, um and and got to play Hubie. Uh, but Hubie would have been playing well, so that was not considered like, oh my gosh, what a gift to play this guy who just beat Medvedev and Federer. Um yeah, what did you, what did you make of of Matt's uh, sort of Grand Slam? It's like a much it's like a much bigger tournament for Matt than the 2019 US Open semi did, which just felt kind of out of nowhere. This one felt like he really lived up to something. And I and I I joked with this on the podcast with Tamani we did after the semis, but I had seen Richard Evans, formerly ATP Comms guy who now mm -hmm. works with Berrettini, and it was sort of jokingly Pete Holdren was there too, and he I sort of jokingly said like. If your boy doesn't make it to the final, that's a catastrophe. Like he should come on, <laughs> just sort of mockingly being yeah, like yeah. putting pressure on someone who doesn't really need to feel pressure, or whatever, because he's the PR guy. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and 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 apparently Pete and, and Richard Evans were like texting each other after everyone, be like one step closer to avoiding catastrophe or something. And like he made the final, like catastrophe avoided. He did it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but yeah, Bertini lived up to it. Looked very comfortable doing it. It was it was a nice nice tournament for Matt. It was great for Matt because um, I think that. I think I probably said it at the time, like after the 2019 U.S. Open, like I wasn't completely convinced that Matt mm -hmm. was a thing. And then yeah. obviously with pandemic and all that sort of stuff, like, you know, like uh, points stay on and rankings are a little inflated. So I just kind of just didn't really get a sense as to whether or not Berrettini was a like legit, like, you know, like in their you know, top 10 guy or if it was just still kind of based off a little bit of a, a fluky result um and then obviously a pandemic that 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 inflates your sure. ranking a little bit so this was definitely i mean for me kind of like good for you like i take it all back like you're part of that that next that next tier you, yeah you don't need to take it back though i mean like he didn't he didn't qualify for the world tour finals or atp finals last oh, year fair yeah like he had a dip like he you know he did have a a, a dip and he was you know ranked nine 
at this tournament, which is not like, oh, you should make the final being ranked nine, especially in men's tennis lately, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I think I think I think your skepticism was ATP outsider was wonderful there. And also I felt validated, although Matt did prove both myself and 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 Roger Federer wrong. But Roger said when he was when they, somebody was telling him, oh, the English bookmakers have put Berrettini ahead of you, like, yeah. you know, whatever. And he was like, who are the, what are they English? And they're like, yeah, he's like, I mean, they always do that with to the Queen's winner. The Queen's winner is always a favorite here. And he was like so dismissive about it. And I was like, you tell him, Roger. And then Matt made the final. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> Yay for you, Matt. But I like being right. <laughs> I think Roger, even just Roger saying that, I think it's enough validation there yeah because he, he, he knows the recipe there i think it's also funny that roger has like historical odds patterns knowledge <laughs> too um he's been doing roger, some reading roger's, during the roger's, pandemic roger's aware of stuff he all is. right so that is basically the dude's final congratulations to those men and again like i think similar to pliskova like bertine loses obviously but he didn't seem like crush crush like it was a, obviously first time losing to Djokovic. no shame in that got to go to Wembley. Got a ticket. Uh, I mean, he afterwards. made the final and got a ticket to 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 see, you know, that it's coming to Rome. It's it's, it's coming good Rome. Stuff. It's coming Rome. It's coming Rome. And he seemed coming excited. Rome. Have you did you see like his, uh, on Isla's um Insta? She was like she was like taping him during the the penalties. It was pretty yeah. it was pretty cute. It's pretty cute. I watched the uh I watched the 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 whole game at, at Rose and Crown. I I noticed the wall. There, like, I was like that's the Rose and Crown. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. With, oh, uh, so you missed the goal. <laughs> I did miss the goal. Well, the goal was in the press room still. So I was, oh, I okay. actually wasn't looking at the screen when it happened, but, um, cause it happened almost immediately. Like, and the game started on time too. I wasn't excited. The game started like really on like 8 PM on the dot. Mm-hmm. And so that's not, I'm not used to those sporting events. Um, so it started, but I, I didn't realize it was started until I heard people cheering the goal in the press room, honestly. Like five um, minutes in, yeah. Two minutes yeah, less in. Than that, I was like two minutes in. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it did not come home. I've come home, and now we'll see who uh, goes to Tokyo. This is the other sort of topic I wanted to cover here. Uh, that was not a great segue. I know that's what you're saying. <laughs> but but a lot of players are staying home. How about that? A lot there of players are staying there home rather, rather than go. That's better. Go Rather than going to Tokyo. Uh, Olympic tennis has been, you know, got reintroduced to the modern Olympics in 1988 uh, after being a demo event a few times. It was in the Olympics in the early days and then kind of, didn't come back after, I don't know, like the 20s, I think it left. Came back in 1988, uh, just in time for Steffi Graf to win the Golden Slam in 1988. And it's been there ever since. I think it really sort of developed into being a pretty best-on-best uh, best competition. Like, everybody shows up. I think really, probably in Athens, it started being really fairly good. And then def- and then Beijing was strong. And, and then London, London was incredibly strong. London yeah. was London was one probably of my favorite peak. of all time. Yeah. London was one of my favorite tournament, tennis tournaments of all time, London Olympics. I mean, like, both draws were really, really strong. I, Rafa didn't play that year, but whatever. Like, it was it was good, and it was men playing best of three, like, meaningfully. I was It was my dream. Honestly, that's the tournament that made me think men should play best of three. It was like, wow, that was amazing. We missed nothing with these matches being short. All we got was amazing start-to-finish tennis. <laughs> Who doesn't love it? Apparently, everyone. Um, so, anyway uh olympics now all best of three uh even the finals and uh in 2016 rio had a couple zika pullouts uh from players who were concerned about that which wound up being kind of a non-issue honestly during those olympics but put some players halep pulled out from that i think halep pulled was, out for unclear yeah halep was the only zika one i remember yeah and then, a lot and then of roger men was pulled hurt out for roger like was hurt reasons. and then stan i think pulled out kind of volitionally anyway my point about stan 
why I wanted to mention him is that he went on to win that year's U.S. Open, mm-hmm. as did Kerber, um, who had made the silver, made the gold medal match, and won silver in Rio, losing to Monica Puig in the final. Um, just so it's just showing that like both paths to sort of Olympic prep, sorry, U.S. Open prep worked. You could go play Rio and you'd be fine, or you could not play Rio and you'd be fine. Either way, I thought it was an interesting split at the time. Like both of those paths were, those were the two champs. Um, but we're already seeing a ton of pullouts from big name players on the at men's these side. Olympics. There's a difference between, and this is something that historically uh, we have we have there. Serena's out of the women. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Kenin's out of the women's, and Drescu's out of the women's. Let me okay. say what I'm gonna say. Okay, okay, go ahead. Let me say what I'm gonna say. Prior to at least today, okay, but I mean, and, and we'll talk about today's withdrawals, which were Bianca Andrescu and uh, Joe Conta were the two big ones. Yeah. Um, but before today. 17 of the top 20 women were going to play the, the Olympics. Now that drops down to 16. Because it was it, Halep was out, Kennan's out, and Serena's out. Otherwise, it was mm-hmm. the top 20 of the women. Very different numbers when you look at the men. I know this for a fact. This has been a continual thing since, like, not maybe, well, definitely in Rio, I remember as well. Even before that, remember Roddick would, would skip the Olympics. Like, I think Fish skipped once. Like, was that London? Isner I can't remember. Skipped. Isner skipped. Well, but, it's American thing, so they 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 like, oh, they all go play Atlanta. Right, I know, but I'm just saying that like when we yeah. talk about this mass exodus or whatever, I think there's a difference between players who are pulling out because Conta pulled out because she tested positive for COVID. Um, I think like Kovinich is out because of injury. There are players who are out because of injury and things like that. Then there are players who are volitionally out. So that would be like Halep is not out volitionally. Like right. she wanted to play like, you know, so and the reason why I think that it is a distinction is because if you're going to because I assume the discussion is going to go towards should the tennis be at the Olympics is kind of that's what that's where it's going to happen. That's I not where I want I to take the discussion, but that's going to happen. But that's going to be the discussion. And the question there becomes if players are volitionally skipping it, then that is far more of an issue than, oh, bad luck, Simona Halep's injured. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or like, oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. that's no, why I'm I, making that distinction. The Halep, the Halep, like the Halep withdrawal about. is like, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned Halep. I, don't, I didn't mean to if I did, but like Halep, I don't think I did. Um, but Halep being out, yeah, the players get hurt. She missed Wimbledon sure. title defense too. Like that, that's completely normal. I said that with Rafa in 2012. Like he was happened to be injured yeah. at that moment. Yep. Um, but seeing something like Rafa 2020, where he pulls out of Wimbledon and the Olympics, but he enters Washington, which starts. Uh, where he gets a wild card into Washington. I don't know if he got a wild card or entered. I think he got a wild card, um, which starts like the day after Olympic tennis finishes, basically. That's more of a choice. You know, that's more him saying, hey, I'm going to skip it. And then you have a bunch of the one that re- the ones that really struck me are, and Rafa has a gold medal from Beijing in, in singles, and he got another one doubles in Rio, I believe. Um, but what really strikes me is these like young players who are skipping on the men's side, especially pretty much all the Americans, including Sebastian Corda, who would have had the chance to go to the Olympics with both of his sisters who both qualified in golf and the odds of that all happening again, that constellating again for all three of them to make it seems low odds, honestly. And then he skips. And then the one that, the other one that really got me was when Yannick Sinner pulled out and Sinner made, and like Andrescu, um, Sinner made the Miami final. Like, and if you can make the Miami final, which was the last big hardcore tournament we had on tour, if you can make the Miami final, you can a hundred percent medal or you have 100% have a chance to medal in Tokyo and that you're leaving these op- opportunities on the table and just being like, nah, I'm good. Or like, I'm going to do other things. And like, and like Sinner's statement was saying like, oh, I want to practice and develop my game. Like, what are you talking about? Like, 
the the risk reward for entering the Olympics to me feels so amazing. Yeah. You go play a tournament with a diminished field, as you already know, and worst case scenario, you don't win. Best case scenario, you're an Olympic medalist for you're the rest of your life. And it is a hero. It is a calling card. And I know this with like when you're at tournaments and he'll be at Cincinnati, I'm guessing, so you can pay attention to him and does it again and it'd be after the Olympics for this tournament. Like Andrew Krasny, I noticed when he does his player intros. Every single player, yeah. he always saves their Olympic accomplishment as their like last thing because it's the thing that gets the biggest reaction from any, from any American crowd who's like obviously some tennis fans in there and some non tennis fans in, in yeah. any sort of t- tournament crowd. And if you say, uh, you know, no one cares if you win Atlanta that week, honestly, like what does that mean? Like people don't know outside of tennis like what that means or doesn't mean. And honestly, even within tennis, we don't think it means that much to win a two fifty. Um, but to be an Olympic medalist, I remember hearing reading about this with Jennifer Capriotti at the time, like when she was sort of, when she was hanging out with a lot of non-tennis people, it's like, oh, she was just a kid who had friends at some point, or a teenager had friends, and then obviously went through to a different crowd that got her more into trouble. Um, but they were saying basically like, no one cared that she was like, had made two French Open or Roland Garros semifinals and an Australian Open semifinal, whatever, her US Open semifinals, people were like, what? But they when they heard she was had won an Olympic gold medal in Barcelona, everyone knew what that meant. Yep. Everyone knew what that meant. That immediately had currency, had cachet, and just like why you would pass that opportunity up, and even just to be an Olympian too. That's a, even that's just a to thing. say I was I was on the team, and for people who have not been on the team, people like obviously like Sinner, people like Corda, people like Kennan, like you don't know. Nothing is guaranteed. You don't know that you're ever going to make it again, especially as an American, just, because of the depth of field. Kennan, especially. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, obviously, Kennan. Obviously, Kennan is shutting down. But she's had she's had some rough results, but like you don't pass like almost that almost makes it more urgent that you take the chance when you have it because like you don't know that it's going to happen and nothing is guaranteed yes yeah, like you said especially from from um, an american always tough to make that team side it's just it's tough to make i mean making the american team like at the olympics is an accomplishment in of itself to yeah. be one to be at that point one of the top four americans on the women's know, team in yeah. the women's team yeah but uh, but no yeah that, that that's the thing i I know I was tweeting about it this weekend and people seem to think that like my tweets were like meant that I was anti-Olympics, which I'm actually not <laughs> like I don't love what the Olympics, the impact. I mean, as a WTA writer and a WTA employee, I don't love the impact that the Olympics have on the schedule of the sport. You know, I don't mm-hmm. love that, you know, it impacts tournaments like San Jose and it impacts tournaments like Atlanta or D.C. and, and players b- arriving to the U.S. swing. Canada. This Canada year, is yeah. a big one. Uh, arriving to the U.S. Sing- swing beleaguered. That's not great. Mm-hmm. I don't love that. But I'm a sports fan. I to me, the Olympics are a really freaking big deal. And to be able to say like. Jack Sock is an Olympic gold medalist, guys. Yeah, like you can't. T- it doesn't matter in what it's because nobody cares. A gold medal in the Olympics is as big as anything else. Roger Federer is an Olympic gold medalist. People will be like, "Was yeah. he?" Yes, he is in doubles. He won doubles matter, with Stan, but he won it with Stan, and he's an Olympic gold medalist. And he, that's all that you need, you know. Like Laura Robson has an incredible resume. She was junior Wimbledon champion, and Olympic silver medalist. That's yeah. pretty huge if you're a Brit. You know, so like, and in a career that was cut so short too, exactly in terms of being able to play on tour full time, like that she got those sort of laurels yeah. immediate early in her career. She's, I mean, like you know, you can't walk around ever. and be like, oh, she got wins over Lean On, sent Kim Kleisters into retirement. That doesn't mean anything to anybody people, outside no. of the sport per se. You know, so I remember, I remember writing an article, uh, 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 
essay for an argumentative writing class I was in in college about how um, Kornikova was like people crapped on her too much and she was much better than like the punchline she was mm-hmm. treated like in pop culture. And I remember and showing to like have like sort of it was one of those things where people everyone reads every, people's stuff and gives feedback or whatever. And what really resonated for people was that she was on the Russian Olympic team. Yeah. That was the one that everyone understood. When she was like 16, that she made like maybe 15 even. I think, yeah, I think she played Atlanta. Yeah. So she made like the, that Olympic team at a young age. We were like, wow, that's amazing. And like Wimbledon semifinal, like being top 10 for how many years? The doubles grandstands, we don't know what that is. But like this one thing we get. And like it has like huge sponsor implications too. Like, again, this is one of those things. If you want to have a good, here's how you make money on tour, folks. Here's how you make money on tour. <laughs> you go play the Olympics. And you get yourself vaccinated <laughs> so you don't get DQ'd from events for testing positive. Yep. And you get your friends and family vaccinated too. Yep. Like the, 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 it just feels like everyone's getting such, I don't think there's anything I'm missing. We're missing here. I feel like the people who are like advising the sinners of the world to skip the Olympics, like, what are you doing? Well, like, what are you doing? And the problem, I just, I just don't get it. And the problem is, is that it, it ends up creating this unfortunate cycle because you know, I definitely heard this from players, especially players coming back from like Rio. I think that that was kind of one of them's where they felt, and even some of the Olympics before, where they felt like, you know, obviously on tour, like tennis players are like kings and queens and they're treated incredibly well. And, you know, from mm-hmm. free laundry to transport to hotels, all this sort of stuff. And then to go into the Olympics and then they're kind of like, we're not being treated that great or special. You know, and we're not even the stars like, you know, like Simone Biles, people are like lining up Usain Bolt's walking down the street, people come running. Nobody cares that you're there. And that's unfortunate, but that's kind of also for most the, rank and file players. For the I'm rank sure and, like yes, run for the and, and Serena. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Yeah. Celebrity is celebrity. But I think that there is a little bit of it, though, that it, beca- it becomes like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, because to the extent that you're there as a tourist and not trying to chase something that is a career achievement and treating tennis at the Olympics as a really massive big deal, then it's hard for all the other sports to take you seriously. And it's hard to believe that you deserve a seat at the table, you know? And so I worry about Olympic tennis is my point. It's like, I want tennis to be at the Olympics. I think it's great. I want tennis players to have a chance to be gold medalists, to be on a stage and and be you know you are a gold medalist and that counts just as much as Simone Biles is one of eight gold medals that she'll win Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like that sort of thing I love that for them but if this kind of treatment of it continues I don't know how you can go to the IOC and say please have these countries build tennis stadiums (laughs) And, you know, these host nations and please invest the money into doing this when our players don't see it the same way. Like if you don't treat it the same way as you treat Wimbledon, if you don't treat it the same way as you treat the Open or Roland Garros, then already we're it's it's tough, you know, and I just worry that that's still where I worry that that is where the conversation is snowballing. And as a sports fan, I don't want to see it. It's certainly been a rough decade or even shorter time, like five years for ITF tennis events with what's going on with Davis Cup and Fed Cup and losing Hotman Cup completely. And I'm sorry, Billie Jean King Cup now. They keep calling it that retroactively. <laughs> it's like they're like, and, and 
Cooligan wanted Billie Jean King cup. I was like, did she? I don't think, I don't think she did. Um, uh, when Billie Jean you know, King um, was the captain of the U.S. Billie Jean King uh, Billie cup team? Cup? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's they should weird. sort that out. But um, yeah, I just, I, I think you're sort of, you're, you're crumbling your foundation by doing this. And, and, and again, this is something that the, that players as individual contractors, and this came up with the Miami, this is not that different than the Miami conversation, honestly, where people were pulling out of Miami left around the men's side, especially, and like being willing to sort of like, not my problem if this event gets devalued, I think is, is frustrating from a sort of sports business perspective. But this is also just like, I think this is that one you could argue like, okay, sure. Like go rest or whatever. This one's just like, again, the reward, if you get there, and obviously there's no prize for fourth place or lower. Like, you don't get any ranking points. I, I kind of wish they brought back ranking points for Olympics, I think. And let's go back and forth on that. I know we had that conversation years ago. Um, and, and there's reasons not to do it, for sure, because of the fairness of selection and stuff like that. But It's not an open competition. If you make quarterfinals, you get nothing. I understand that, and that's frustrating for a tennis player. No money, no whatever. But, like, I mean, Olympics, come on, that, that shit's magical. You get to be there and like, and I know I understand like, yes, you're not going to have the same freedoms at, in a bubble tournament. And yes, there's bubble fatigue. And yes, playing in North America, this, or sorry, playing in US this summer, uh, very few restrictions. And you can really feel like back to normal. And for a lot of people, that's, you know, and you can peak for this Grand Slam and not to go to Tokyo where people also, there's low vaccination rate. And if you're one of these dumb tennis players who's not vaccinated yet, because God knows you've all have opportunity at this point, maybe you think that going to Tokyo is putting you at risk of catching COVID more from some other person there. <sighs> just, just get your shot, play the Olympics. <laughs> it's not hard. It really not isn't. Hard. I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand it. I mean, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, look at, I mean, for all, like, look at Elena Dementieva for all yeah. of like within the sport of like best player to never win a slam, never got it done. She is a goddess. She is a golden yeah. goddess in Russia. She mm-hmm. brought home that gold medal. It don't Monica matter. Monica Puig. It, I mean, Monica, Monica Puig. Puig. And Monica Puig is the perfect example to all of the rank and file players who are pulling out. If you don't think, like, you want to go to the Olympics because you don't think that you can beat, like, I don't know, you can't medal. Okay. But, like, Monica Puig did. Like, she had the week of her life. And there was zero. It wasn't even like she was a Krachikova who was, like, you know, no. oh, the results are there. And she just happened, like, it just came out of nowhere. And she... Masu. I mean, like, these yeah. things happen. Like, why not? Like, why not do everything you possibly can to go do it? I know it won't be as fun as normal. I know that, yes, bubble fatigue. And I don't mean to, like, you know, belittle that. And maybe, yeah, you know, it's been grueling. And you'd rather spend that week at home and recharge your batteries because that's better for your mental health and physical health. I'm not belittling any of that. But I guess, like, if you're not going to do it, don't use the it just doesn't seem like it's going to be very fun as much as the reason why you don't do it like don't do it make up an injury make up a legit reason not to be there but don't say well there's not going to be crowds so i don't want to go no it, it you're not there as a tourist I'm saying specifically that's like with me Novak being like too. i don't want to go to paris because i can't go to the top of the eiffel tower it's like or, it's that's getting renovated i want to go to paris yeah that's it's a tourist like... thing that's not like that's not but either it's like a th- it's either it's the thing or it's not and i really hope novak goes and again like yes. i said i understand that there might be like don't go if like you're burnt like i get it but then come up with a more but it compelling might be, it might also be the soothing <laughs> aloe you need for your burn like i really feel like honestly like being at the olympics and i've been to one olympics in my life i went to sochi oh right, uh, when i yeah. went to some I've I, never I, been. and so it was, yeah i would have been like, to tokyo it, but here we are 
yeah, it's just like a different, it's a different sort of thing. And just like, I just don't think any player has ever meaningfully regretted entering Olympic tennis even, but they certainly the opposite has happened. I know from talking, being Andy Roddick, the first tournament, one of the first ones I ever covered um, back for a daily forehand back in the day was 2008 or no, even like talk about tennis back then, 2008, like um, 2008 Washington, um, which was concurrent with the Beijing Olympics and Andy Roddick was there. Andy Roddick, I'm sure, got a media appearance fee to come to Washington. and came to Washington, skipped the Olympics. And as he was there, James Blake was making was a surprise run to the semifinals of that tournament um, and ultimately lost the bronze medal match. Um, but you could tell, like, as especially once Andy lost in the quarterfinals to a then completely unknown Victor Troitsky, um, that, like, he was not happy with his decision. Like he would like, he didn't wish he wasn't, he would want to be. Well, but that, like he, and, but and, and then he went like... to, then, and then after that, he talked about that in 2012, which he yeah. did go play in London. And he said like, I regretted skipping 2008. Like I'm going to go do this. I might not like be playing perfect. And then he got destroyed by Novak in the second round. That kind of sent him into retirement. So, you know, either way, it's going to change your life. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I just think it's tricky. I, I think that, yeah, I, I think the Olympics matter. I think that if it, it just seems like an incredible thing to be able to say that you're an Olympian. Yep. Like for the rest of your life. That is that, yep. you know, that's that's pretty cool. And, you know, and if this means that, I don't know, maybe there will be changes down the road. Maybe because of the professional nature of tennis, because it's not in, in any way at this point an amateur sport, obviously. And obviously professionalism has been allowed in um, the Olympics now. But mm-hmm. like in the same way that like World Cup, like, soccer teams it's an olympic sport but like for them it's not like you're seeing the euros teams going and representing like there are these rules about how many pro players you can send or you put an age cap maybe like the olympics tennis at the olympics becomes 25 and under so that i don't know i hope that doesn't happen i hope I mean, it like, doesn't i've but seen, like, I've seen this the, happen i've seen this i've seen this happen with hockey ice hockey i know where where in hockey they had uh nhl players allowed in the olympics starting in nagano in 98 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then through sochi and then in 2018, the NHL, Gary Bettman, the commissioner, said, we're not going to no let mas. our players go. Yeah. We don't want to disrupt this the schedule. And I really think it was a net loss for hockey. And this is obviously I'm not looking at the books the same way they are. But I think it's a, a real net negative for both capital H hockey as a sport and also the NHL. Like, I just think the profile you yeah, get from being there in a sort of and having loaded Team Canada versus loaded Team USA in the final like you had in Vancouver like, I think that's just such a great energizer for the sport writ large yeah. that you can't. And, and the highest, I believe, I want to say that the highest rated tennis match, I think I saw this somewhere. This, I hope this is still right. In the U.S., the highest rated tennis match of the 21st century, I'm pretty sure at some point at least, was, and it was short, yeah, with Serena, Serena playing Sharapova in the 2012 Olympic final. Because Olympics has a different cachet. Like, that's still... Time zone like, helps there as well, but yeah. Time zone helps, sure. But, like, I mean, that was, like, I don't know what... That was, like, a sort of morning match. It wasn't, like, a primetime match in the sure, U.S., though. But, so, yeah. like, yeah, I think maybe some CBS final got better ratings than Williams or something. I'm not 100% sure. But it definitely was a, it was one of the bigger numbers of tennis that year. Biggest number of tennis that year, yep. at the very, very least. So, you know, like... Just don't pass it up. Like, come on, folks. If you're a tennis player listening to this or know a tennis player or want to tweet a tennis player, be like, hey, you're my fave. Um, I don't know. Uh, who, who's an example of this? Pliskova. Like, please don't pull out of the Olympics. I'd love to see you there. You can do it. Check flag colored heart emojis. <laughs> you know, and go. Yeah. So anyway, 
we'll see. I, I hope I hope that I hope that the fields hold up. I do. And we hope that you've held up through this episode. Thank you all for listening to NCR back uh, to our home desks here. Uh, we'll keep shows coming for you throughout the summer as things happen. And will uh, any other thoughts on on non? Did you have like Wimbledon cover? I don't know if you had like Wimbledon like being there questions thoughts, or we kind of covered that a little bit before. Wimbledon what? You were saying before we started recording, like about wanting to talk about being at Wimbledon with me. Oh, just like what? Want. Yeah, just what? If, what if, it was? Yeah, but I think you did cover it. Just what it was like to be kind okay. of on site and and where it, it it was helpful or where it was not, and you know, yeah. it's totally understandable. I think that that until press rooms are either open or hybrid, um, you know, where journalists can do one-on-one -on -one interviews with players in person. I think that the on-site value just is so incredibly diminished and it, it's just rough. It's more enjoyable and it's much it's, more humane to do it with, to work the within the time things. zone. But in terms of the work product that gets produced, tricky, very and tricky. And even, even not even, not even just time zone. Time zone is big, obviously, and especially for you being in California, being eight hours back, that's a nine for Paris. That's brutal. Absolutely. But also to even just be from the humanity, just being in a room where, you know, Tiamani was there. Yeah. And for me with the times, like Chris Clary was also there and like being with people who were on the same frequency as you and who cared about the same stuff and you could feel the heartbeat of the event and going to the matches in person wasn't was obviously nice too, to be able to be in the in the crowd. Uh, you know, at various moments, hearing yeah. them go nuts for Pliskova, hearing the Matteo chants breaking out during the men's final or whatever it may be like that was all. That was all cool, um, and and yeah. So that part that part was generally really good. I'm looking forward to when you can. I hadn't expected that so much, honestly. As that if was I not, would be I watching a tennis match, that. Ben. Nice know, try, though. I know. Nice try. No, you know what I mean. But I was just saying, like, if, um, just like being again in the room with people and we will talk about it and like sort of just being around people again and also feeling like sort of a functional professional adult human being like getting dressed to go to work every day yeah and having to bathe because of social yeah. norms like those were things that like obviously went way by the wayside during the pandemic no, i know i know and and yeah so that was that was sort of nice to get back yeah no there. i just i just um, would like to just get back to even i mean all that stuff is all great and grand i i don't know maybe it's just where my head is at at the moment but i just care about it far less like i just want to be able to do my job better and yeah. not feel handicapped like I the socializing is great and fine and I love all you all and it would be amazing to sit on press row again but like I was just I, there's it wasn't just so even, many it wasn't frustrating even... things of just like you know like we were saying at Wimbledon and, and it's their own COVID rules but like you know the the time allotment for a press conference which Ooh, carried over brutal. into one-on-ones because like for example like I had the champion's corner with Ash and being so wary of when they might cut it off and normally I do like a 10 to 15 minute conversation with the person. And usually it's kind of a 20 minute thing because you kind of chit chat a little bit and, you know, but it was literally like Ash sat down and I was like, um, okay, I guess we just got to go. Like, you know, because yeah, I, it was all very rushed. Yeah. There. And it just didn't feel right. And it didn't feel like you were doing bet, like doing right by you and right by them. And I yeah. just, that stuff is just causing me so much anxiety and just disappointment that it's, it's, you know, so I just, I just want to get to the point where we can have just like normal interactions with players so that you can like properly get their stories out and tell their stories and connect with them and understand them better, you know? So that, yeah, that would be connected. ideal. Yeah. Just it's connected. such, it's it, right now, everything is so transactional. Every zoom call that you get on with a player, you're not there to chit chat. Like the moderator won't yeah. even let you chit chat. Like no. even if you want to crack a joke and be like, you know, like with Ash, it was quite funny because at the end, 
like I got like the whole like last question. It was like the fifth question I asked. Um, and uh, and she answered and then it was done. I just wrapped it up and I was just like, so, you know, congrats, Ash, go crack a beer. And she was literally getting up from the thing to get rushed out of the room because of their whole 10 minute thing. Um, but like, you know, getting out of the room and she's like, already cracked one. And I was like, <laughs> I was like legend. Like, <laughs> so I love that she was already she was already sloshing uh, before her media yeah. rounds, which was great. But, you know. Like that would have been a far more of a meaningful chit chatty conversation, yeah. You know, than no, and that and that was the value that we, I think, both of us, you probably especially with how embedded you were with the women, could bring to doing our jobs was the being able to be there to tell you what it's like there to connect with these people to have to be able to read them much better as people when you're there with them and see how they are in the hallway on their way into the press conference and, and also have the luxury chat or whatever yeah. like have the luxury yeah, of kind like, of like when they say something feeling like you had the freedom to follow up and chase yeah. threads you're not immediately muted as soon as you finish your question well it's not even, yeah. yeah but just like or like being like well i do want to ask that follow-up but i don't want to take everybody else's time and we only have 10 minutes and exactly. it just you know and oh no it's actually only seven and a half minutes because she has national language it just it was way too much and it just felt like I felt like I loved one of the reasons why I really loved the one on one that you got with Pliskova in, in the article that you wrote is because I felt like Carolina, I genuinely felt like her, once she hit the semifinals, people weren't able to really dig into her story yeah. because at that point they were like reporters were paying attention and wanted to be able to tell her story, but there wasn't time. Like you couldn't no. like these like I know Carolina's story, you know Carolina's story, but like there are a lot of people who didn't and they just didn't get the time to do it and that's not their fault that's not her fault, it's it's the situation that we're in of just trying to do all this in a pandemic, but it's it's unfortunate you know because then you just feel like, I mean especially once she was like she got that second set I remember thinking this in the in the final I was like, is there are people going to like. Do people know Carolina's story? Like, I was, like, a little bit worried, you know, because it just didn't really yeah. feel like, I don't know. It was little things like that. No, you're right. You're really out. right because with, with, it was different with their, after they won their semifinals, because Ash didn't have to do any other language press. So all of her press was in English. And then Pliskova's gets cut off after, like, nine minutes, roughly, or which was not as long as it sounds like actually she was relatively talkative that day even and she talks fast she talks you fast so you get you get you get you get mileage with kaya you get mileage sure. out of i did like a what like a like an eight minute one-on-one with her that i got after her quarter win over golovich and it was like 1300 words transcript it was so long. and to be fair <laughs> they're was... only required like the rule is 10 minutes like that is what is it required in the rules i think but but we all know that but, especially but with just, wta press conferences they're allowed to yeah. go for as long as they go long and, and they re read questions. the room and, and read the player and yeah, see how everyone's so. doing there and also especially because we can't go talk to the coaches easily we can't go talk to you know whoever else one the other thing about it again there's just nothing is spontaneous like that's one of the things like i was doing i'm trying to think of stories i would i was doing a story about like um oh wimbledon feels back to normal right and normally, like that was one of the, one of the ones that turned into an Andy Murray becomes very morbid about his career story <laughs> after after that happened sure. late in, late in the day after my question. But um, but normally that kind of story, or that's not even the best example. But like usually for stories, I like go up to the lawn and see like which like friendly faces I see there mm. who are like people I know who like oh I know that I don't know, you know, um, Chris Everett or um, or even much obviously lower scale than that. Let's see like. Um, 
uh, who would be a good example of this? Like Billy Heiser, who's like mm-hmm. Allison Risk's coach, who I'm like friendly with. Like he might be there and I could talk to him about something. What if it's going to be a player there or something? But like now I have to be like text Billy first. It's not really about anything he's related to. Like, do you have time to like get on the phone and or Zoom or whatever? Yeah. And like, it's just all like, it's nothing spontaneous, nothing's organic. And so I think the output product is meaningfully much worse for that. Yep. Um, you can only really so... chase like the, like there is no, there aren't alternative storylines. It's like so hard right now. You almost can only yeah. hit. Everyone's the... feeding from the same wells. You can only hit the pinata. Like that's the only yeah. thing that people have is, <laughs> is the pinata. Like, and so everybody's just taking turns whacking it, but like no one, there aren't any alternate. It's just hard, you know, to, to figure out what the heck's going on. And yeah. So. I'm just imagining alternatives to the pinata, like the kid with the stick, like going after all the kids at the party. <laughs> like, I don't think you want pinata person story. to go rogue. That's another story. I, it's a story. It's a story. <laughs> it's a story. All right. True. On on uh, that note, any other any other thoughts, feelings on the world? Have a good trip to the East Coast, Courtney. Thanks. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what it's all about. Gonna have a lobster roll. That's that's my main thing. Yeah. That's my one mission for the weekend is to have one, at least one lobster roll to give Blair Henley a hug. Blair. Um, yes. To see my co- a few of my coworkers for the first time. Adam Lincoln. We'll see. We'll see Link. Um, uh, Steve, Mickey. But uh, but yeah, no. I, You'll see Billy up there, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Billy. Billy will be there. Yeah, and... yeah, for sure. Conchita. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that'll be good. And yeah. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how we go. We'll see how I'm I'm very concerned that my social muscles have completely atrophied into nothing. So the first day, the first day of covering Wimbledon, I got was like so distracted because I was like, normally there aren't people that come out to talk to me while I'm working <laughs> ever. Yeah, at home, it's like, and I have a door that can shut to the rest of the world, even if it's someone else in the house, and like, um. I was like, I sent my was like, sorry, this was harder than I thought because like people kept coming out to talk to me all day, and I was like distracted yep. by that and it's being overstimulated by people being being around and other yep. tvs being on and da, 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 da. it's like all that this obviously you're not going to cover like matches or a tournament day but like i feel like... there's a re- there's a bit of a relearning curve that has to happen with time management that it's it's no but a for bit me like i'm just bike, worried but I, that, like, I definitely fell yeah. off the bike a bunch at the beginning yeah no for me it's more just like i feel like after one hour i'm gonna be really tired i'm worried about that like just how much it takes out of any socializing these days though i mean like it you gotta build that strength back up yep yep so i'm a little worried about that but well it'll be great it it, i mean it's the original nine being inducted into the international hall of fame it's gonna be a good time so pretty cool pretty cool yeah all right on that note bye folks ciao ciao we want to thank our slam champ backers james hindle Susanna w anna valinder mary carillo leah williams sean mulroy liz kennel jonathan weinbaum antonio maycumber ashley keel timothy lou Jean Simeon and our special silent backer, and our goat backers Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. 